like to turn now in our Bibles to Psalm 66. Changed my perspective over the week a little bit, so the text that we'll be considering especially is verse 16 of Psalm 66. The subject is the same, but the perspective is that of that verse from uh, this Psalm 66, the Word of God. The subheading of Psalm 66 reads to the chief musician's song, a psalm. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. O oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction to, on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with a sweet aroma of rams, I will offer bulls with goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Thus far we read the Word of God at Psalm 66, and that to which I draw your attention in particular is verse 16. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he's done for my soul. It is hard to say what is worse, what we see in this world or what we hear. What we see is mostly abominable. Think of all of the risque wardrobe that is being worn. Think of all of the pornography. And then you think also of the, uh, the inventions of man, which though not pornographic, speak of man and point to man as the author and finisher of great things and point to man's philosophy. There is no God. I don't know if that's uh, the worst thing, though, what you see. I'm believing more and more, maybe as I grow older, that it's what you hear that's the greatest temptation and the greatest problem in life. We're hearing things. For the hearing, well, with the hearing, we hear what we see, the same thing, but it's more articulated. 
There's more detail given to what man is about when he says things. The policies may be of governments and the philosophies that are being taught as true in the universities and in all of the entertainment industry. What you hear is a terrible thing. So I would hope that one day I'd be deaf. Well, no. Can't say that, can we? Can't want or hope to be blind and really shouldn't hope to be deaf either. How about this? I'd hope for selective hearing for us too, for all of us here, and not of the perverse kind where we just don't want to hear certain things and we turn our ears off, but of the wisdom kind. Children, we need ears to hear the good things mom and dad say, the good things we hear in the word of God, but we need discernment to turn off what we're hearing from the world and not to listen to it for more than a second to know that it's bad and then completely to reject it. And so it's a noisy place. And this is my problem, and maybe it's especially as I grow old. It's a noisy place, and I pray for myself to have more selective hearing and for the congregation that we might be selective in what we hear. For after all, what you hear of the unbelievers is to, to make you an unbeliever. That's their goal. But what you hear from the Word of God, that's to make you a believer. That's God's goal. And so we want to hear God and not turn him off. So there's a lot of noise and raucous noise in all of the accomplishments and philosophies of men. But how different is it? The joyful noise, as the King James has our first verse in Psalm 66, the joyful noise of the people of God. Now that's something to listen for. And that also is something to engage in this noise-making, this holy partying and celebration for the praises of God. This psalm is all about that. It's calling, in fact, the entire world, the earth and the peoples of the world to join in the praises of the redeemed sons of men. And it all starts from the person who is himself redeemed, who declares what God has done for his soul the personal recognition of God, the personal faith uh, uh, resulting in a, a personal relationship with God. This is the fount of all the praises and the call to declare the praises of God in the earth. So join with me, will you? And uh, consider this word of God under the theme, I will declare, I will declare. First of all, what do we declare Secondly, that we declare indeed, and then some details on that. And finally, that we declare the praises of God forever. What the psalmist calls us to in Psalm verse 16 here is to declare, or he says he will declare, what God has done for his soul. That's really the theme of this, this, uh, this whole psalm, what God has done. In fact, front and center is the the God to whom we are to sing the honor of his name, whose works are awesome, verse 3, who does things like submit his enemies before him, does the great thing of saving the church. He's this doing God. And this is where we start, with God in the church of Christ. This is the church of Christ who is God with us, as we heard this morning and as we always hear 
And what we want to emphasize, because the text does, is that he is the doing God. He is God. Before he does anything, he is God. He's the one, infinite, eternal, supreme being before all and over all. And he's the only God. There's no other gods or forces that are in contention for the Godhead. There are no others among men or the gods of men who are those who would rival God for godness. God is God, the quintessence of all that godness is. There's only one God, and the idols of men are fictitious. They are no gods, Paul says. This one does things. He is and he does things, this God. He does awesome works. He is the one who's done something for my soul. And this is an indication precisely that he is God. You see, the idols are proven not to be God in a psalm like Psalm 115 because they have hands and they do nothing with them. They have feet, they don't walk. They have a mouth, they don't talk. Their deadness, their non-entity, is proven by their not doing anything. But what God does is to show himself God exactly because he's doing things. He is this God who is. And before the foundation of the world, before there was a universe, he was doing things in his own being, like causing his son to be forth. He was purposing that there would be a world so that everything would be done according to his counsel and for his glory. And now he does that. There's no man and no rushing of men that might prove to us that they are God. There's no, there's no great triumph of men and the group of men and societies of men to prove that they and all they're doing are doing something godlike. Building a tower of Babel, city of man. That sounds like a godlike thing. Wow. To, to, uh, to err is divine, they're saying, and to be God is the man-like thing, and we'll build Babel. But God is in heaven, and doing things in heaven among the army of the hosts there and on the earth. What are specifically the works of God besides the works of his own fellowship and decreeing? Well, he creates all things. He made everything out of nothing. Great works of God in six days, six literal days. And then he created the Sabbath on the seventh day of creation. He provides for all things. The God who maintains this, this world by his, his power, by his working and also by his word. That's a unique thing about the work of God. God works through his word centrally. He has hands, and not like human hands, but the Bible describes him as working by his hands and reaching forth in the right hand of his power and so on, his right arm. And he has feet, and he's doing things and moving in his feet. But it's especially that the Bible says that God is the God who does things and gets things done by his speech. He made all things by his word, and he sustains all things by the word of his power. And this leads us to contemplate God's greatest work. It's to save. This 
is exactly what is celebrated, especially in this psalm, by the psalmist personally, not only, but by the psalmist as he is viewing Israel, the people of God, as saved by the doing God. Look at verse 5 and following. Come and see the works of God. What are they? He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. Here's how. He worked, he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. Reference to the Exodus, the Red Sea, and through the river, the crossing of the Jordan River, and the entrance into Canaan. The two great works of the salvation of the people of God, of the God of the people. And that's why we rejoice in him there. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. And there he's speaking of the fact that when God saves his people, he condemns and destroys the wicked who assail the people of God. He's doing these things of creation and providence and judgment and salvation, and especially that salvation all by the word. That's the word Jesus. The psalmist, because this is the psalmist of the word of God, a true declarer of goodness and good things and the good God, is speaking of Jesus. Everywhere the Bible speaks of the works of God and the words of God, it's focused on the work of God and the word of God, Jesus Christ. So the word Jesus is powerful to judge, to damn, and to save. Don't you know it? And that word is revelatory in the creation, to be sure, in the beautiful spring day, but especially in the gospel word. And as that's declared, there is a revelation of truth, a declaration by God himself. I am God, the mover and the shaker of the universe, not only, but of the souls of men to take them to myself and to glorify myself as the God of grace. So, Israel's salvation here is a type in their deliverance from Egypt, their entrance into Canaan, of our deliverance from sin and guilt and stain and depravity, free now to serve the living God. It's all about the cross. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about the ascension. It's all about Pentecost all the works of God in Jesus Christ, that word of our salvation. Now, what is the psalmist's concern here is that people would know what God has done for his soul. And that's verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. I will declare what he's done for my soul. And this is the heart, really, of this whole confession. He has something to say to the nations. He wants the people in the church to to join him. Won't you join me? And then he wants to shout out the window and cross the way to the park there, come and join the congregation. And then he he hears of a need and of the awakening of souls in in China or somewhere else. And and he says, they, they have to hear What I know is true because this God is the God of my heart and I'm turned and I will never be the same and I was a guilty, forlorn sinner and now I'm justified before God and now I'm not hopeless but full of hope 
And now I have something to live for because I have someone to live for who's not a vain imagination, who's God. So God visits the soul of the sinner and he visits our souls, doesn't he? The God who saves, that's just kind of vaguely, but who saves soul by soul, the lost who are dead in sin. To them he gives life and gives a heart, makes us willing in the day of his power, gives fruit of his own work of salvation in our body, in our speech, in our work, in our play, in our relationships. Also, as well, the psalmist, in this context here, celebrates the further work of God after regeneration in sanctification. We're speaking of that in the wilderness series in in the morning. But this God is, uh, uh, the peoples of, of the world are called to bless God because he keeps the soul that's alive now among the living. Verse 9, the work of God preserving the saints after regenerating them and then refining them. He does not allow our feet to be moved for you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net to be sure. You've laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads to dominate us. We went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. And I say, beloved, that's the testimony of a true saved sinner. There is the evidence of Christ, if ever there was one, in a man who's born again and who's been brought through the fire and brought through the river. And come out on the other side who knows poverty on that side and riches on that side, nothing on that side, and God with us on the other side. That's a man to be contended with because then you're contending with and meeting with God himself. Here's what he declares, does the psalmist, the great work of God in all the world, creation, Providence, judgment, salvation, and in the souls of sinners. Now, do you know that? It sounds impossible that the preacher going and shouting at one point and now coming down at this point would even ask the question. Of course you know, don't you? You have to know. And I want to speak to something here, something that I've wrestled with. The, the fact of the covenant. I want to speak to that. I was not born in a covenant home. Baptism meant nothing to me. And there was a day, and I remember the day, and there was a bridge, and it was kind of a picture of where I was headed, where God was leading me, and I was born again. And so, from outside of the realms of grace, and now ushered into the life of God, and magnificent generosity of God, I have something to say. But what about you? Some people like to pit 
off once, uh, one against the other. The fact that certain people were born again later in life, like Paul, and others are just in the covenant. They're just raised in a Christian church, and they never really knew the difference between being a believer and an unbeliever. I like to say, well, this is better. Invariably, it comes out this way. The one who's had an experience and who's been on a bridge and who's been hitchhiking around and wandering around, and God said, no, stop, be my disciple now. They say, well, that's better than just being learned the same old, same old stuff. And, and, and then you come and, and you say, well, is it for me? How is the enthusiasm of this psalmist, how can it get to me? Well, beloved, here's what I say and I do declare to you in the name of God. Don't ever want another past than you have. If you've been raised in a Christian home, heed the word of God there and be thankful. Be thankful. You see, you've been blessed to be kept from the things from which I was not kept by the the wisdom of God. You've not had unlearned things. You have had such a great start on life and grace in the life early on. Moms and dads who say, I love you, and when you hear them, you know God loves you. And when they say, pray to Jesus, you have confidence that he'll hear you. Don't want something else, some experience, and maybe because, well, your parents weren't perfect and the church is dead, and look at all the other people. They're looking like, living like aliens, and they're reformed. For all of that, beloved, here's what God has given you to look for and which you, didn't, you don't need to look for because you've been born in the covenant. You don't need to look for some experience, some, some day, some light or dark spot and then light and it's all, it's never the same. Some lifelessness and some life. Here's what you need to look for. Here's what you get to look for. The word of God. Here's what you get to look for. You are privileged to have known from knee-high to a grasshopper the scriptures, as Paul says to Timothy, who was raised in the covenant home, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. You have the word of God. That's all. And I say that facetiously, off the pulpit. That's all. That's everything. I never rely on my experience of God so much as God and his word. That's what we need to do. And this is the great advantage of being in covenant homes. You have the word of God, the powerful word of God. Don't deny it. That's why the judgment that begins in the house of God, begins in the covenant homes, is so much greater because you have the word and the promises and the commandments and you have Jesus preached to you every uh, every Sunday. So you need the word, more of the word, too. And we'll get to that in the second point as we consider declaring, indeed, what God has done for me and declaring this to the church and to all the world. I want to say here, in this second point here, that we need a uh, to remember that the psalmist is speaking here calling people to praise God and join with him in the praise of God, wherever he finds them. But he himself has first had a conversation with God. 
Come all ye and hear all you who fear God. I will declare what he's done for my soul. And then this, I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but God has certainly has heard me and he's attended to the voice of my prayer. This is the backdrop of his declaration. He's going to be a public speaker. He's going to be a public speaker of what God has done, doing in all the world and what you ought to do, therefore, and what God does to save Israel. But first, he's had to have a private conversation, and this has happened. And this is what God does work in us. When we are moved and shaken by the mercy of God to be his children, no matter what the experience of that is, the reality of it is true, then we begin to hear God. And then we begin to talk to God. And then we begin to pour out our soul to God. Then God becomes our best friend and our shepherd and our guide and our lover. And our, he's, he's everything to us. And Jesus is our life. And we couldn't live without him. We want him more than to be married. And we want him more to have all the friends of the world. Because this one is our personal God. And he's the God of our personhood. And he knows our hearts, he works in our hearts, and that's why our tongues are extolling him and so on, and that's why we hate iniquity. He even says on behalf of God, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That's fair enough, isn't it? And it may be fair enough in your life if you're regarding iniquity in your heart, that's why God's not hearing your prayer. But the psalmist here, he'll have none of that. He wants everything of this. Everything of true religion, everything of the true revelation of God to be the light that permeates the soul and directs the steps and guides the tongue. So there's this conversation and this praise of God conversation. And then it spills out. This is the whole enthusiasm of the psalm. The psalmist has had this personal experience and he says, now, congregation, Verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God. I have something to say to you. This is the life of a congregation, you know. When there's just one person, and I'll even say besides the minister, who has something to say. One thing to have a minister, you say that's what we're paid for. So we do. But to have one who's heard God in the church, no matter who you are, say to others, now you got to come and i got to tell you about this God. Hear from me. The evidence of the living God is in my life, turned around in my life, now conformed in my resolutions, in my company, in what I listen to, in my fasting, in my Offerings to God in everything, my work and play. Come ye that fear the Lord. Goes to the congregation and then to the world. To the world. The psalmist says, make a shout to God, joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Let all the earth worship God, verse 4, and Verse 8, oh, bless the Lord our, our God, you peoples. He's, he's thinking about the whole world, calling 
God's people from all the nations to join in the praise of God and, and thinking what a, what a great thing that every one of God's elect and from all the nations, tribes, and tongues that will be in heaven right now begin to say, well, this God of Israel is not just the God of the Canaanites and the God of a certain geography, and he's not just the God of the Dutch. He's the God of Wild Eagle who visited our church this morning. Amazing. And such like that. The God of those who've been here and done that and seen it all and know nothing except depravity. God saves people like that. He's the God of people all over the United States, not just of Jerusalem, Grand Rapids. He's the God even of the East and West Coast orifices of the United States. He can save the most liberal. He can save the most conservative because, grant you, or mark my words, even the conservatives, if they be without Christ, are hopeless. God to be declared among the nations. This way, now some details, and I want to go through the word declare so you can remember it. So we're going to go letter by letter of declare. So that's about seven letters, right, children? And we're going to start with D. What does D stand for? And it arises from the text. It's certainly part of the word of God that's true about declaring what God has done. And I would say first here, a D word would be, a good D word would be dogmatic. Dogmatic. That sounds like a really dumpy word or a real... uh, curmudgeon of a word, dogmatic. Don't be so dogmatic. Well, I think it's exactly the word we need to remember nowadays. We're going to be dogmatic in the praises of God. That is, we're going to say, thus saith the Lord. There is no other God. Thus saith the Lord, you inclusivists. There's only one God and one way to God, Jesus Christ. Thus saith the Lord, there's only one narrow way to heaven, and that's the way prescribed in the word, and it's not the way of your liberty, choosing your sex and your gender, your identity, your mate, regardless of the sex, and whatever and whatever you choose. In other words, the psalmist declares the God of truth, and he would do this truthfully, dogmatically. The works, the word of God, the Jesus of God, must be declared. Not debated. Not dialogued about. Not simply discussed. Our evangelism is a dogmatic evangelism. Winsome, to be sure. But the exact opposite of cream puff Christianity and a cream puff witness. We stand for something here. It's called the truth as it is in Jesus. We stand as reformed Christians. We stand as those who oppose however American religion has become if that religion be not the word of God. We declare these things. That's the dogmatic. Second, If there's anything that comes out in the psalm, and I trust in the sermon, it's that there's to be an enthusiastic declaration of the praises of God. 
After all, the psalmist calls us, even us Dutchmen, a staid Dutchman, to make a joyful shout to God. And if we're calling the earth to shout joyfully to God, it will not do that we lead the way by murmurings and raising the eyebrows when people get excited in church. Not calling for wild enthusiasm, but biblical enthusiasm and reverence, but something that says we are moved by the word of God and the Savior, our Savior Jesus Christ. After all, at stake is glory to God, positively. God's glorified in everything, but we want to see sons of men praising God from the heart moved in their hearts like we are. We want to see churches that are sound in their confession and passionate and hearts who's aflamed. We want it to be wherever we declare the truth and the works of God as if a tornado has visited the place, don't we? So they were going this way. Well, you know what tornadoes do. They turn you around. And so it ain't Kansas anymore. It's the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that amazing? Our God, he's worthy of that kind of enthusiastic demonstration of his own life. And then the sea of declare. Church, of course, as our text says, the psalmist goes out from his soul closet and summons those who fear God to declare the greatness of God and hear what he's done for his soul. So we do as a church. This is what we're about. You'd ever join this church, you're going to join the church that does the same thing week in and week out, declare the praises of God. Among the God-fearers, we need to stir one another up to that zeal. We do remind ourselves that church is where God declares things, and that's where the word comes from, heaven, through the church, to the world. We are to make the disciples of the nations, and let's not make them, beloved, uh, ten times more the sons of hell than we are, shall we not? Let's make them God-praisers. We do that by praising God ourselves. We can, you see, make them all clones and do the same things uh, in the same way that we do and wear the same stuff and all of that. And as if that were religion, there's something, of course, to sameness. I'm not calling for newness. We don't need to reinvent the wheel or somehow uh, think that God is going to be Worshipped, if we get more complex in our worship and less simple, and maybe we should add things to our worship and all this. The word of God is powerful, and every word of a sermon worth its salt is a PowerPoint, and we don't need anything else. The word. So the church declares and makes for those who are God praisers. And then the L of declare is, is a life and, and a love that would be following the conversion that we enjoy and would be in conformity to the praise that we'd give. Imagine you come out of this place and you have God in your lips and you know the right things. And the young lady who confessed her faith last week knows to say the right things. But imagine if now that the confession of faith was gone and this reads this text like another confession of faith, but imagine if after the hype was over and, and so on, she didn't live that way or we didn't live the way that we confessed. That would be terrible. Hypocrisy. That's what Jesus faced when he came. All oh, the Jews knew everything. They were never 
uh, rebuked for not being stewards of the word. Their problem was they missed Jesus. Slight problem, like the difference between life and death. They searched the scriptures. Those are they which testify of Jesus, and they missed Jesus. They missed the wonderful counselor. They missed the word of God. They missed the work of God. They missed the Savior who came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. They had no life as well to back up their claims to be the people of God. May we have it. If you look at the context here of Psalm 66, the psalmist here who's brought out of poverty into richness goes and resolves to go to the house of God with what? Burnt offerings. Really? Yes. He will pay his vows, which his lips have uttered, some pledge he made of commitment to God in in a tough time or because he needed something. And nevertheless, he's going to back it up. His mouth is spoken. Now he's going to act upon it. And he's offering, look at all these, these animals. Burnt sacrifices of fat animals, verse 15, with a sweet aroma of rams, with bulls and with goats. That's just about everything you could offer in the temple. He wants it all to be for God. And here, beloved, is exactly what we are to be for God, all of us in the offering. You see, it's not merely about bulls and goats. It's about ourselves. That's Paul, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, your bodies, as proof that your heart is in it and real Your body, your whole life is a sacrifice of praise and thanks to God. Life and a love, worshipful, not hollow. Then always, that's the A of declare, always. School, home, work, play, vacation, which my wife and I like to see as Not just recreation, but as recreation. Something renewal. Something in our downtime that means God is up time. That's our resolve. Pray for us as we go on vacation that there might be recreation and for you too. And then the R of declare would be recounting and remembering one by one the works of God. I find it striking and the psalmist refers to sacred history in verse 6. He turned the sea into dry land, and they went through the river on foot, that is, the passage through the Red Sea, and then through the Jordan. He says, there we will rejoice in him. Kind of peculiar. But he grounds his rejoicing in God in an event and in a location. He doesn't think of the Exodus as mythical, After all, the psalmist didn't go through the Exodus. He was long after that. Nor does he think the entrance into Canaan was something not for him, but he goes there, and we must go there to the event recorded in the Word, to the Word that records the event. Real, not mythological. As real as who? God. As a work of God. You go there. You think of that. And so in all the events of your life, you recount the events of sacred history that are so compelling to prove that there's a God who lives and a God who's with us and who will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Finally, the E of declare, evangelical. That covers it all. The gospel, Christ-centered, grace-centered, is our confession and is our motivation to call the world and the church to praise of God. Look at verse 20. Blessed be God who's not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Amazing. After the psalmist has cleared himself of iniquity in his heart, knowing that God will not hear him, and so he says, I'm one who's not with bad motives, he doesn't rely on on the sinlessness of his heart, but he says, God hasn't turned away my prayer because of his mercy. Everything about the psalmist ends, begins and ends in mercy and grace in all of these favors of God. And that's how our religion should begin and end. And that is exactly, beloved, how it will continue forever. The mercy of God. Final point. This declaration we make forever. Now, for some of us, this might seem hard at this time. Maybe we're going through hard times. We anticipate there will be difficult times, difficult decisions to make. If it's anything like in the past, you're saying that now, I'll leave the house of God. I was a little bit elated by the sermon. But after all, I find some faults in the sermon, so you just stick on that. And then life comes, and you go right into it again, and your conversation Sunday night is not really Sabbatarian. It's just restlessness, and you're just eager to get into the day and the things that matters, the work week. Oh, beloved, don't let that happen. Praise is to continue. Praise is not to stop and then to go and then to stop and then to go and then to go and then to stop. Or it's not to stutter step. It's not something you put the brakes on ever because... You're getting out of control, maybe. But praise is to continue. And when the valleys, and when the mountains, and when the side detours and everything come and they face you, remember, these are still God's works. And God is still good. And God is still faithful. And nothing in heaven has changed. My wife was saying the other day, we were saying, what a cloudy day. And she reminded me, but the sun is up there. And it's true. It's so true. The sun is always there. And that's all we need to know. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in all their works and all that word that he speaks is always there. Rise up to meet him from this worship service. Enter the week filled with peace and the presence of God. And he's worthy to be praised, so shall we not declare him? This I will declare. And you? Amen. Father, we pray that you would bless us to declare your praises, your greatness, your glory. We love you, Lord. And all that the world has to say is so much noise, but all that you have to say is so beautiful. Sweet sounds of forgiveness. Lovely melodies of your great largesse and generosity. We love you, Lord. You are lovable. You're worthy of our worship and reverence. 
Thanks for making us your children, your friends. And thank you for making us our church and with all the people of God everywhere, friends together, lovers of God and truth together. Bless this church in all of our decisions, in all of our life together. May we encourage one another and pray for one another. Whether at work, at play, hear our prayers. May we be the praying people, the God-declaring people. For Jesus' sake, amen.